Praise the Lord. Could you please come with me to the book of Luke chapter 11? I'd like to read a few of these scriptures to us. Luke 11 reads, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he seized, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Hmm. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet more because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Someone say to yourself, I need to engage with God's purpose. I need to engage with God's purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We exalt you. We magnify your name. You are sovereign. You are God. You are king of the earth. You rule over all things. Have your way. Bless our hearts with your word. May we never be the same again. After hearing your word. May our lives be transformed, be better instruments in your hand, sharp as arrows, 
accomplishing your purposes. In the name of Jesus, we bless and worship you. And all the saints say amen, amen. and amen. amen. Right. The issue of disengagement in the classroom. There is a picture I had wanted you to see this morning about disengagement in the classroom. Oftentimes, you would see teachers teaching and students, some on their phones, some sleeping, some Praise God. Some sleeping. Some on their phones. Some engaging in their own conversations. Basically, doing whatever they please to do. Now, the issue is this. Teachers are under serious pressure to up their game in their class management skills. But the problem is not so much that teachers are not delivering what is needed for these students. That is not so much of the problem. The problem is that the students in the classroom often have different agendas in the classroom. They are there, but they have a different agenda. And this is a human problem that needs to be solved. That in this age of technology, the problem has become more and more intense or increased. In the sense that because of technology, a student can be in a classroom, but then is far away. Could you be, just, just, just excuse me for a sec. Could you like uh, play? It's just there at the moment. Like, okay. You know what you play like? You play the, play the, the, the slides. At the moment, they're just sitting there. Okay. Praise God. So, the problem is a human problem. In the sense that people want to follow their own agendas. People have their own plans, their own schemes that they want to follow. Everyone has got his own plans. And they... It shows up even in our relation with God or in our relating with God when we come to prayer. We come to prayer, we still want to, you know, carry on with our own agenda. The problem or the unfortunate thing is that when you're relating with God, 
whose name is spelled G-O-D and not D-O-G. It means the individual has to follow him. He is the sovereign one. He is to be followed. Praise God. It's not like a dog on a lead where you pull the dog along. God is G-O-D. We call him the king of kings. The lord of lords. The sovereign one. Hallelujah. And whose agenda or will must be followed. Basically his agenda must reign. And when we come into that place of prayer, and I'm using the word when, indicating that prayer is not something if you wish, if you like, if you choose to, for the Christian, but rather when. When indicating that it's something that Christians do. So when you get to it, God's expectation is that we engage with his purpose. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, the issue of prayer in scripture is not contested. It is not. The issue of prayer in scripture is settled. Believers or ancient believers in scripture prayed. They always did. Hallelujah. They always did. We have people like Abraham. Abraham and Moses praying for people who've gone wrong. Anna. Anna praying to God that God will bless her with a child and God calls a prophetic child to be born. A prophet for Israel. Then we have Samuel. Who persistently engage in prayer. And at one time told Israel. I will not sin against God by not praying for you. Showing how important the issue of prayer is. Prayer. Hallelujah. So as I said. The issue of whether to pray or not to pray. Is not being contested. That is not a subject matter. Because he says when ye pray. And if you were a, a good student of the English language, you would have understood that when and if are two different things. If meaning if you choose to, if you want to, if you like to. But when indicates that it is something that is upon you, you must do it. By the time you do it, certain things must be in place. That is the point here. Hallelujah. Amen. Elijah, we all know about Elijah, the favorite, the favorite prophet of ours. Who in his time as a prophet, he prayed that the, that the heavens bring down no rain. And when it was due time, he prayed that the heavens bring rain. Hallelujah. Then we have David, who also prayed, hallelujah. He prayed unto God Almighty. And his prayers are filled with praise throughout all scripture. Then we have Hezekiah, praying to God Almighty. We have Daniel, oh my goodness, Daniel. We have Daniel praying, and Daniel's prayers are awesome, excellent. We see how he prayed in the book of Daniel, 
chapter 2, chapter 4, I mean, I mean Daniel's chapter 7, chapter, chapter 6, and then as we go on, Daniel's prayers are awesome, magnificent, and we see what prayer is able to do, or what a saints did with prayer. Then we have Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the, of the temple and the, and the walls of, Jeru, of Jerusalem. This man gave himself to prayer. Hallelujah. So the issue of prayer is not really contested in scripture. Like I said, ancient believers prayed unto God Almighty. Then we come to Jesus. Hallelujah. In all these examples, so the disciples who were walking with Jesus, they were not ignorant of the issue of prayer. Okay? Prayer was something that they were familiar with. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. They were familiar with prayer. To God be the glory. They were not ignorant of prayer. They were very familiar with prayer. But, look at the verse 1 of Luke 11. Verse 1. It says, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, praise God, When he seized one of his disciples, said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples, sorry, as John also taught his disciples, indicating that they, they, they saw something different. They saw something unique about the prayer life of Jesus. And I'm talking here about our master Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm still talking on the subject of prayer. Just before we go any further, tell someone, engage with God's purpose. Oh, I may say it like you mean it. Engage with God's purpose. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. They realize, you see, they saw something unique about Jesus' prayer. That Jesus, he began his ministry with prayer. That is, Christ at prayer. He began his ministry with prayer. We see, we see that in Luke chapter 4. He chose 12 disciples after a time of prayer. Praise Jesus. Luke 6 verse 12. After great manifestations like the multiplying of the bread and all that. He went again to pray. Matthew 14, 20, 23. Amen. Before his crucifixion. He spent time praying. And before his ascension, 
We know that he also took time in John 17 to pray for the disciples. And not just for them, but for you and for me. And even for those who are that will come after us. He prayed. So you see, so having listened to Jesus for some time in his prayers, they realized there was something unique about his praying. So one of the disciples approached, that means one of them, of course, after unanimous, you know, decision, there is something we need to learn from the master. One of them approached and said, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. In the same way that John also taught his disciples. There is something I want to point out to us here. And then in verse 2, Jesus Christ says, And he said unto them, When ye pray, hmm, When ye pray, A very big difference, and I stress again, between when and if. It is not if you choose to pray. Not when prayer becomes a little bit appealing to you and you want to do it. But rather, when you pray. Indicating a must. On the part of he who has taken Christ as his Lord. When he pray. So then. I need not belabor this point. Because I'm sure most of us hearing me. Know the necessity of prayer. But here Christ does something. Is when you pray. Say our father which art in heaven. Hello be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. Praise God. And he said unto them. Which of you shall have a friend, shall go unto him at midnight and say, Give me, so a friend of mine has come upon me, lend me three loaves. And the friend will say, Sorry, I can't help you. I must sleep with my children. And in those days, they slept with their family, whole family, in one room. So to get up, he will be waking the whole family up. And he didn't want to do that. A parable Jesus picks up here. But it was very practical. And the people would have understood it. When he said this, when he gave this illustration. But the point we are making, to, we are making this morning here is this. That Luke in, is making a point and we want to get Luke's point here. We understand that right from chapter 9 verse 51 to about chapter 19, Luke is dealing with the journey of Christ to Jerusalem. So, it's a journey. So, basically, we get from this thing that life is a journey that we are on. As Christians, we are on a journey with Christ. Praise God. So, we can say life is a, is a journey. But on this journey, Luke is giving us so many things that Christ is doing. And right from here, this, in this section, Luke is dealing with the teachings of Christ as he goes along. But, 
particularly from chapter 10, verse 38, which we looked at last week, to chapter 11, verse 48, Luke is dealing with the issue of choices. That in life's journey, choices must be made. And the choices that we make must be very, very good. Because choices that you make, make you or unmake you. And there are some choices that are bad, some choices that are good. There are excellent choices which must be made. Praise God. Life is all about choices. The moment you wake up, friend, you begin to make choices. You choose to wake up or you choose to sleep. Choose to die or choose to live. Choose to wash or, to, or choose to be rotten, right? Not wash and become rotten and your skin begins to, to, to decay and you just rot away. You choose. Life is all about choices. And the first choice Luke deals with is the fact that we must make the excellent choice of sitting at the feet of Christ Jesus to learn from his word. That is, in your life's journey, you must make that decision the most excellent one, the prime one, the most important one. That for you and your house, as long as you live, you will make sitting at the feet of Christ Jesus your excellent choice, your first and primary choice in all that you do. Look, it's not finished. Look, now moves us on to the second part. And, he say, and in the second part, he says, hey. The second most important thing which I want to bring to your attention is that, hey, as a creature, as a creature of the living God, you, after you've heard from him, you must also speak back to him. It's called prayer. Prayer. And the prayer, and as you're going to pray, prayer must engage with the purpose of God. So the second most important choice to make in life is that at prayer, we must engage with the purposes of God in prayer. So prayer must be made, but the prayer must engage the purposes of God. Second most important choice to make in life. Praise God. Are you with me so far? So you see, and See what, see, so this is, what, this is the point Christ is making here. And in verse 2, please. Come with me to the verse 2. Verse 2. In the verse 2, what he's saying here is this. He says, when you, I like the King James for this. When he uses the word ye, and making a, a differentiation between ye and you. Ye, Y-E represents plural. It's a plural word for you. So when you all, so you all. When you are up, when you when you pray, say very directive, very instructive, no missing of the point. It's very direct. When you pray, say, Ah, Father, watch that. Stay with me, stay with me. Ah, Father. Verse 3. Give us. Notice the word us. Verse 4. And forgive us our. Notice again, us and our. Praise God. And again in the verse 4, and lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us. So you see here, the whole focus is plural, 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 plural. Indicating that prayer is not a selfish ambition. Prayer is not a selfish endeavor. 
prayer is something you engage with God for the whole or, or with the whole brotherhood of mankind or the brotherhood of believers. So when you come to prayer, it is not just to seek for me, myself and I. Myself and my one wife and one car and one family and three children. So we fit in a saloon car. No, not like that. But prayer is a plural thing. Something for the entire brotherhood of believers or brotherhood of men. Praise God. That is the point that he, he makes very, very clear. That if you're going to pray, this must be foremost in our hearts and in our minds. This is a, is a, is a purpose and a plan of God. For those who will pray, or men at prayer, or Christians at prayer, praise God. Hallelujah. But then, in this prayer, Jesus highlights five areas that must be focused upon. And the five areas are this. In the verse 2, he highlights two of them, okay? God have mercy. He highlights two of them. Which are. Hallowed be thy name. Okay. Hallowed be thy name. And let thy kingdom come. Praise God. So the first two the first two requests that Christ said you should make in prayer relates to God himself. Okay? Hallowed be thy name and thy kingdom come. These two refers to God. And watch this. Watch the second part in the verse 3 and 4. In the verse 3 and 4 it says, Now give us this day our daily bread. That's it. The next three relates to our interests. So the first two, God's interests. The next three, our interests. Our daily bread. Our moral issue or the forgiveness. And also, the issue of temptation. Shooting from temptation. Praise God. God's name. So the first one, God's name. So when you come to prayer, pray saying, Hallowed be thy name. Thy name. Name. What does the name of God, what is the name of God? Is it, is it G-O-D? Is it Yahweh? Is it Almighty? Your name be hallowed. Hallowed means set apart. Hallowed means separated. It means esteemed, valued. It means cherished. It means upheld. And what is the name? When we talk about name, 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 name refers to all that God stands for. All that God stands for is what we mean by the name of God. Hallelujah. The name of, of, of the name of the, of the of the Lord. God is righteous. God is holy. God is faithful. God is kind. God is generous. God is compassionate. God is long suffering. God is glorious. I mean, all these attributes of God come together to make His name. So what He's saying is this: When you pray, pray that His name be hallowed. So when you pray, you are coming and you are coming to God and say, God. May your righteousness, may your righteousness be established. May your, may your compassion, may your forgiveness be esteemed. May your compassion, your, your forgiveness, your love, your kindness, may it be so 
exalted in the earth. May all men come to identify, may all men come to see and regard it and respect it. This is God's heart. God wants his name to be established. His righteousness, his glory, his power, his majesty, his goodness, his kindness. He wants these things to be established. And in prayer, when you come to prayer, you are saying, God, I support this. I want to see this. Let this be. Or you say, may your name be established. May peace, may, may your peace prevail in the earth. You are saying, God, let this be. Let this be. This is what I live for. So basically, when we come to prayer, we are identifying with God and his purposes and his plans. And he said, let your kingdom come. Let your rule, your rule, your rule, your rule, your rule, oh God, I pray that your rule, that your rule, that your, that your rule will come on upon the earth. It will not just be in the heart of a few Christians, but the entire congregations of men and the brotherhood of men. And your rule will be embraced. Your rule will be established in the earth. The men will bow down their knees unto you. And all men will confess that he alone is God Almighty. Men will come to the place where they abandon the idols of their heart in all forms. In forms of technology and all forms of things in these days. And bow down to Almighty God alone and him alone. Praise God. Hallowed be your name. May your name, may your righteousness, may your kindness, may your goodness, may it be established in the earth. Not the evil. May your justice be established in the earth. Not the robbery and corruption that we see. Oh God. His Christ says when you come to prayer, these are the basic bare bones that must be engaged with God. See, you can come to God and come to God and, and come and do all kinds of stuff. But you see, there's one thing. If you come to a teacher's class and your engagement with a teacher is just for your, you are on your phone, you're not going to get any, anything from that teacher. You will leave the class not having understood anything. And in the same way, if, you, if we come to God in prayer and we're not really engaging with his purpose, then we've just come to just blab. And at the, at the end of the, of the day, you get up and go back and, and God is not in solidarity with you because his agenda has not been followed. His purpose has not been pursued. You came seeking your own agenda and we call that prayer. And Christ says, no, I'm teaching you what it means to pray. When you pray, say our Father in heaven, let your name be hallowed. Let your name be exalted. Let your name be set apart. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. Praise God. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. You see, the point is this. The moment God's name is devalued, everything associated with God is devalued. 
I'll say that again. The moment God's name is devalued, everything associated with God is also devalued. And watch this. Interestingly, everything is associated with God. Why? Because he's the author and the giver of life and all things. All things come from him anyway. You see, so when men think that they can devalue God, men think that they can put God's righteousness away, they can put a, a blind, they can blindfold God's kindness, they can sit down, you know, they can shut down God's kindness, God's goodness, God's love, God's justice. They think they can shut all those things down. They think they can do all these things and then still have respect respect for authority in the land and still have respect for things like the institutions that are being set up like like the police and the you know the other governmental bodies and all that they think that all those things can be no it would not be because the moment you devalue the name of almighty god everything associated with god all goes with it people are wondering why Parents are not being respected and children are becoming rebellious. And I tell you, it is very simple. Scripture has the answer. The moment you devalue God, everything associated with God becomes devalued. Are you wondering why marriages are not being replaced with same-sex marriages or why? Because God set up a man and woman to marry. But because God's name has been set apart, that also is being set apart. Sorry. Because that is being devalued, sorry, it's being devalued. What God has said about is being devalued. So anytime things of God or the name of God is devalued, it trickles down, it affects everything that God has made or God has created. It also gets devalued. It goes down the line. You see, so... Following our own ambitions when we come to prayer has got bad consequences because some people, they just jump in. I'm not saying you don't come to pray. You know, hallowing the name of the Lord involves prayer. Hallelujah. Hallowing God's name involves prayer. So when you come and you are praising God and you are thanking God, it's all part of it. Praise God. It is all part of it. It is all part of it. It is all part of it. But you pray that God will set it up. That God, oh my goodness. You are, you are praying that God's kingdom be advanced. Amen. And it is only then, only then, only then, only then, only then, only then. After we have sought God's interest in prayer. Then our interests. Because you see, we, uh, we have our lives. To pursue God's interest. That's the point that God is bringing out here to us. In this prayer we see the process of life. That God has given us our lives. For one thing. To promote his kingdom here on this earth. That's the reason why we are on earth anyway. God made man his own image. That's his likeness. Why? That man will have dominion over the face of the earth. That man will establish righteousness, kindness, goodness. God's purpose is to fill the earth. That's the reason why he puts the God's name and God's kingdom 
ahead of us. When we come to prayer, and I'll tell you, when you come to prayer and you identify with the interests of God, your heart is set right. Then comes our interests. Verse 3. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the, our daily bread. You see, the issue here is this. He took daily bread, talking about food. Amen? Food. Food is very important. We need, no, don't trivialize it. Don't tell me, well, no, no I'm too spiritual to ask for food. <laughs> Be wise. Be wise. That's, a, that's, that's how gentle I can make my remark. Be wise. <laughs> Be wise. <laughs> you, you see, without your physical being, you, you, you have no representation here on this earth. You'll be dead and gone. Hello? Yes, you are a soul, you are, you are a spirit, but hey, without your body, we can't see you. And without your body, you can't work on this earth. So, you see, body, the body, the physical body is important to God. That's what I say, ask for bread. So, when your home, when financially you are poor, you are struggling, God is saying, when you come before me in prayer, after you sought my interest, also seek your interest before me in prayer. Ask about it. Talk to me about it. I want to hear about it. I want to do something about it. I will do. As you have asked me to establish my name, my righteousness, my, my honor, my dignity, my love, my kindness. And, and, you, are, and you are praying that my kingdom be established. And, and you are seeking that I will, I will expand it through you or through someone else and all that. I also want to make sure that you abide here on this earth and continue with the good work. So ask me for your daily bread. And I'll give you. Hallelujah. Ask me for your food. Food. Ask for the food. Now you see, asking for the food, that's not basically the, the, the bread here, I believe, is, it is, a, is a symbolism for all things physical. I believe it's a representation for all things physical. Praise God. That you see that your physical existence in the earth is needed. Because if, if physically you are not here, <laughs> what, what you are doing can't be done. So you see in the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, he put in our needs, he put our physicality, or our physical need first. So is someone here with me? Because until your physical, until you are physically he alive here on this earth. What contribution can you make in the earth? That's the reason why God pulled that first when it comes to our needs. Your physical needs come first. So anything that goes to help with your physical needs, like your health, your energy, your strength, your mind, things to do with your vitality, everything to do with your well-being, God says, yes, pray for it. Ask for it. It needs to be done. Hallelujah. So ask for those things and don't trivialize them. Pay attention to them. You are studying. It's part of the physical things. Ask for God for understanding. Ask God for the mind. Ask for God for the strength you need, the physical strength you need, the food, everything. Ask God for it. 
And then he says, the next thing that you must do is to what? And forgive us our sins. As we also, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. I want to, I want to, to, to just say a few things about this point before I, before I end this afternoon. Uh, uh, forgive us. So there is also the need for forgiveness. Praise God. Don't be see. <laughs> David put his. I love what David said. David said, "Blessed is a man whom the Lord forgiveth all his iniquities." Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Forgive all his iniquities. Praise God. So you see, so God is saying, "Ask me also for forgiveness." When you've gone wrong, do not let the wrong stay. Ask for forgiveness. Praise God. Ask for what? Forgiveness. Praise Jesus. Ask for forgiveness. Don't just. God is merciful. But. There is something about forgiveness. Okay. <laughs> God is a loving God. God is a kind God. But his forgiveness is conditional. Hello? If you're going to ask him for forgiveness, he said, then you must also forgive. If you won't forgive, we know the parable that Jesus Christ told in the, in the scriptures about the man who was forgiving the, the, the debt that he owed and went to see his brother who was owing him something and would not let go. So when the boss heard of it, he said, hey, come back. Now put him back in prison. So basically, what God is saying is that if you want me to forgive you, then you, before you come, make sure that you too, you forgive those who have forgiven you. Now, if you don't understand what forgiveness means, okay, you may find it very difficult to forgive. But I want to just show you something about forgiveness. Forgiveness, I want to show you, I want to to just take you back because the Hebrew words are, comes in picture forms. I want to use that to, ex- to, uh, to explain what it means to, to, to forgive. To forgive, all right, is made up of three word pictures. The first one comes from the letter Samek, the next one Lamek, and the, la- and the last letter is a Hebrew word Kurt. Kurt. You like, you say with a thing in your, in your, in your, in your, in your throat, hurts. Now, the Samek referred, the first letter Samek Actually, Hebrew is read from the right to the, to the left, just for your information. So the Samek, the one that's got a T underneath it, is, refers to a tree you can lean on. It also refers to the heart of God. Heart of God. Then we have the second letter, the Lamech. Lamech represents instructions. Instructions. And instructions or from instructions come authority. So by when we talk about instructions, we are talking about authority. And the last letter, the hurt, is the, re- refers to a tent or an, in, or an inner chamber where you go in for protection. It's also a symbol for, for the Torah. Okay? So basically, when you put all these words uh, together, it means that when you say you are forgiven, okay, when I'm forgiving somebody, it, it, it means that you are returning or you are leaning on the heart of God. Okay? To follow his instructions. 
so that you will be protected from the evil one. Okay? So to forgive, to, when you say you are forgiven, it means to turn to rest in the heart of God, to live by his instructions, and to enjoy his protection. To enjoy protection from the enemy. Because when you, when you are. When you need to forgive. Why do you need to forgive? You need to forgive because someone has offended you. So you are offended. And you are in a state. And then in that state the enemy comes in and can destroy. So to forgive. We are struggling to forgive someone. To forgive someone means that you are coming, you are bringing yourself or turning to rest in the heart of God. God's heart pardons. God's heart lets go. God has, you know, put things that are wrong away. So you are coming to rest in God's heart. One, to live by his instructions. God, I'm turning from this hurt to live in your heart. To, to be guided by your, your instructions so that I'll be protected from this from the enemy who is using want to use this to hurt me or to harm me. So then forgiveness is more for your good and for my good even than the person who has offended us. So as long as you hold that grudge, you are harming your own self. Then the next thing is this. Lead us not into temptation, he says. Now here, what does that mean? Does it mean that God holds your hands and leads you into temptation? The Bible says that God tempts no man because God is not man. God cannot be tempted. So since God can't be tempted, he does not tempt any man. Okay? Now, when temptations come, God trials his people. See, God tries his people. There's a faith trial which God does. But that does not destroy you. But when the devil comes with his, with his temptation, his agenda is to sift you like wheat. To leave you messed up, killed, and destroyed. He comes to what? To kill, steal, to steal, kill, and destroy. His intention is to destroy you completely. And that is the purpose of temptation. Christ said to Peter, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. I've prayed for you because the enemy had wanted to sift you like wheat. Oh my goodness. Make men's meat out of you. But I prayed for you that you would that, that you will stand. And when you recover, Peter, help your brothers. So here, the, uh, the what the word means here is this. What the what Christ is saying here is this. Pray to God, saying, God, don't allow us to be tempted. That's what Christ is saying here. Don't allow us to be tempted. So he says, so deliver us from the evil one. Do you get it? Don't so that's what he's saying here. Lead us not into temptation. That's not mean, it, it, it is not supposed to mean that God is leading you to know. What he's saying is that don't allow us to be tempted by the devil. But rather deliver us from his hands. So basically, help us out. Of temptation. 
Because temptation's agenda is not to promote you. Temptation's agenda is to destroy you. When temptation is knocking on your door, you can see this is temptation coming your way. Oh, my brother, my sister, don't be fooled and think that, well, I am privileged. No, you're not. He's out there to destroy you. So, you pray and say, Lord, don't allow us to be tempted, to fall into the devil's temptation. Don't allow us, God. Help us, Lord. Or, or, or basically, help us, Lord, not to be tempted. Help us to be strong. Remember in the garden when he went to pray, he came back to the disciples and said unto them, Hey, pray. Let's see. That you do not fall into temptation. Talk to God about it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God is good. And... Um, if time is on my side, I just want to quickly look at something here before I just end. Because here, you see, Jesus, after dealing with these issues, Jesus now focuses on verses 5 to verses 8. Yeah, He, he turns his, 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 his attention now to motivate the disciples to pray. Hallelujah. He says, you know what? This is what you should say in prayer. But you also need to motivation. You need encouragement to pray. Okay? And what is the encouragement to pray? The encouragement to pray, yeah? The encouragement to pray is in the verse 13. Come with me quickly. Let me do this quickly. The encouragement to pray is in the verse 13. In the verse 13 it says, If ye them being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Hey, what he's saying is this. That there is a need for the Holy Spirit. There is the need to ask for the Holy Spirit. Praise God. There is a need to ask for the Holy Spirit. You must ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for it. But when he's told them to ask for the Holy Spirit... He had not gone to the cross yet. No resurrected yet. Pentecost had not happened yet. And so we see in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, where he tells, where, where God says that he will pour his spirit upon all flesh, right? He will, give, he will take away the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. In Joel 2.28, we are also again reminded of God's of God's plans to pour his spirit. Acts 2.16. We are also reminded of God's intention to pour his spirit. Praise God. And. In. In all these scriptures. We see that. God. God has been planning to pour out his No. God has been planning. Watch the. Watch the word properly. God has been planning. It is God's intention to give the Holy Spirit. He's been planning. It's, it's been, it has been prophesied down the line. And then when Christ comes, he says, when I go, the Holy Ghost will come. So, so it looks like it's all God wants us to have the Holy Spirit. But now the Holy Ghost has come. Anyone who is born again, you have received the Holy Spirit. If you are born again. So what you use then is this prayer 
to us. Now come with me. Ephesians chapter 1, 16 to 19. In Ephesians chapter 1, 16 to 19, we see that though the Holy Spirit has come upon all of us, praise God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 to 19, it reads, sorry, from the verse 15, sorry, sorry. He says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Praise God. What is he saying here? He says that the Holy Spirit will enable you to be wise and reveal God to you. So, besides being having the Holy Spirit sealing us, making us ready for Christ coming again, the Holy Spirit also makes us wise. He also reveals God to us. And this is something you cannot do without, okay? And before Christ says this, so we are going to take Luke eleven thirteen in this regard, right? In asking for the Holy Spirit, number one, to make us wise, to reveal God to us so we will know him. And also again in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 17, talks about he also strengthening us on the inner man. Because most times we, we do grow weak sometimes in faith, don't we? Sometimes you're going to be weak and something troubles your mind and you are down. And, and the Holy Spirit is the one who strengthens you on the inside. So this need, now this, this need, uh, tell me, this, this need, is this, something you, is this something that you just need once and for all in your whole Christian life? How has it been? Is it once and for all? No, it's not once and for all. You realize that you need the Holy Spirit to strengthen you as you go along the way, don't you? Because sometimes you are strong, sometimes you are weak. And when you are weak, things beat you down. And oh, by the grace of God, when I say the grace of God, I mean the spirit of God comes, strengthens you on the inside, and you're up again. And, you, and you're back in, in the game. Who's doing that? The Holy Spirit. So just watch what Jesus Christ says in the verse 5. Look again, please, back to Luke. So in Luke chapter 5, sorry, in Luke 11 verse 5, he says, sorry, sorry, Luke Verse 9, sorry, verse 9. Luke 11, verse 9. And I say unto you, ask. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. All these words are connected. They are not supposed to be taken apart and breaking down. But it's saying the same thing. Basically, ask, seek, knock. Now, they are in the present continuous tense, indicating something that you are to do continuously. Ask continuously. Praise God. Don't stop asking. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop seeking for the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. Don't stop asking the Holy Ghost to, to, to enlighten your eyes of understanding. You see, your eyes have been opened. You are born again. They are open. What we need now is for the eyes to be enlightened. Enlightened. See more light. See more light. It's already been opened. So we are not praying and say, Lord, open my eyes. 
You are already born again. So he's not opening the eyes. What we need now is the enlightenment. That we will see more light about God. About the workings of God. See more light about it. That's what we have to do right now. So ask for it in prayer. Amen. Amen. Ask for it. Because we need it. And then what does he say? He says this by giving, an ex- by giving a parable or an illustration of a man going to his friend in the, in the verse 8, in the verse, in the verse 5 to, to 8. He said, he gives this parable where a friend goes to their friend and says, you know what? Someone has come to me at night and have no food. Now, during those days, those people had great regard for visitors. When you get a visitor come to you, Giving the person food to eat, it was an oriental necessity, something that you must do. If you're a good oriental, if you're a good person, you would give food. They can come at night and just give them a place to sleep and then that's it. Don't care about it. But if you're an honorable man, you want to feed them. So at night, this, this, this person has come and you don't have any bread. What do you do? He said, this friend will go to another friend and knock on his door. And though it is late at night, he will keep knocking. Keep knocking, keep knocking, and a friend will give. He says, you know what? Even though the friend doesn't want to get up because of all the inconveniences, because he's his friend, number one, yet again, because of his importunity. Now, let me explain that word, importunity. Importunity here does not mean persistence. Hello? Persistence is a different word altogether. Hello? He said, because of importunity. Now, importunity... The word is shamelessness. Shamelessness is like this. You want something or you want to do something. But the thing is this. By doing it or by asking for it, you are going to look very ridiculous or very funny in the eyes of everyone. Everyone will think of you like a clown. But... Because you so much want it, you still go for it, you still ask, or you still do it. It's called shamelessness. That is, you don't care about what people think about it. So in a sense, the word seems a very bad word. But before God, before God, in the kingdom of God, shamelessness or importunity is not a bad thing. So Christ is saying, hey, you need it. So ask for it. Okay? So that means something you want so badly. But because people will think bad about you, make fun of, make, make, make fun of you, you don't want to do it. You know, when, you know sometimes when you've done something wrong to maybe a, a good friend of yours. Okay, let me use a husband and a wife. Husband has messed up big time. Big time. And wife is angry with you. And on top of that, shamelessly, I mean, I mean, shamelessly, this husband gathered the borders and come and say, sweetie, uh, where's my dinner? And the wife goes, after all you've done, oh, you're still asking me for your food in, at, at night? You know, it's like, shamelessly, shamelessly, what you've done, you should not even have the courage I should just be calling you and say, come and have it. But you have the guts to come and ask me. After what you've done, 
Or maybe opposite way, maybe the wife has done this, the, the bad thing, and, 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 but then she boldly comes and say, maybe you've taken maybe a thousand pounds and you've just spent it on maybe some lipstick. And husband is cross with you. And then you come back and say, honey, uh, I saw a pair of uh, gl- gloves. I-, I need it for my work. The weather has gone very cold and it's, it's 1,500 pounds. And husband will go and say, are you that shameless? That's it. That's what Christ is saying here. That we must be shameless in asking what for the Holy Spirit. And why would you do that? You would do that because it is necessary to you. Because you see that it's an important gift. You can't do without. So be shameless about asking for the Holy Spirit. Oh, I asked for it yesterday, so I can't ask for you again. No, he said, be shameless about it. Ask for the Holy Spirit to enlighten your understanding daily. Ask for the Holy Spirit to strengthen you on the inside daily. Be shameless about it. And then finally, he says, and then finally, he says, which of you, if you are a father, you evil fathers, if your son asks you for bread, would you give him a stone? If your son asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If he asks you for fish, would you give him a snake? So if you know how to give good gift to your children, how much more the heavenly father the Father wants to give the Holy Spirit. Here, the Holy Spirit is the issue here. He wants to give the Holy Spirit as a gift to strengthen you on the inside, to make you wiser, to, to, to reveal God to you, you know, to enlighten your understanding, to strengthen you on the inside. And you need to pray this prayer. He says daily, seek for it. I'm done. Seek for it. Seek for it. Seek for it. Seek for the Holy Ghost. Strength. Inspiration. Insight. Understanding. Seek for his help. Don't try to do this Christian work alone. You need Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God.
powerful, able to effect change and change things. It is not a dead letter. God's word is living. I am talking about the word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. It is active, it is powerful. 